Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning. Morning. Merry Christmas. Goodness. Actually, afternoon here. Merry Christmas from Ohio. It's 30 degrees. We wish we were with you. We're glad you joined us. If you're new uh, to the church, my name is Mike Erie. This is my beautiful family. Uh, We were part of the team that started Vox and uh, have since moved on to Ohio. And so wanted to be with you today. But the biggest gift... We could give you a Seth Erie singing, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Take it away, Seth. We wish, we wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Christmas and a Happy New Year. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Oh, they're clapping. You want to blow them kisses? Okay, listen, Vox, we love you guys. Uh, We celebrate with you today. Izzy's going to kick us off today with a little joy to the world. So God bless you. Have a great, great Christmas. All right, see you later. Thank you. Good morning, Vox. My name is Tim Yohoff. I'm part of the teaching team here, along with Carrie, and you saw our founder, uh, Mike, in Ohio. Isn't it weird to see Mike in flannel? That seems bizarre. Um, we are so glad you're here uh, to take time out this morning to focus before the madness really starts of the whole Christmas season. I have a quick confession. I, it hit me like a ton of bricks yesterday. Just chills, achiness, cold. Um, so this morning, I'm on a ton of uh, Dayquil. So if I say something that just didn't make sense, just think to yourself, oh, that was Dayquil. If I say something that is just brilliant, like you just sit there and think, wow, Dayquil. Okay, so uh, this morning, let's talk about Christmas. And let's talk about a term. I teach communication at Biola University, and we use this term called virtual reality, which means it exists on television, it exists in the movies, it just doesn't really exist in real life. That could be the perfect kiss, it could be uh, the perfect family, it could be the perfect date, it could be the perfect country, it could be something that is just what we can conceive of in its perfection, but it doesn't really happen in real life. We call that virtual reality. A ton of studies have been done to show how that actually impacts how you view reality based on this virtual reality. Well, Christmas, you might as well just say Christmas is virtual reality on Dayquil. So um, let's take a look at these pictures, right? I mean, is that your family? I love the one with the dog who clearly is drugged. That dog, that dog is either stuffed or drugged because we have a dog and our dog does not act like that. And there's a child screaming or laughing, depending on the angle. And then I love this family to my right, upper right corner, just smiling as they open Christmas presents at that age, right? It's like, Mom, Dad, thank you so much for <laughs> sacrificing and working overtime, and you got me this. And I, I probably would have preferred something different, but knowing that you bought this with love, thank you. Is, are the, <laughs> is that your kids? It's like, no! 
my wife Noreen has a friend who's, um, when they open up all the gifts, one of uh, their siblings said, is that it? Is that all we get? And the dad was so mad that he packed up the family and they drove through different parts of the city where people were living outside and, and they didn't have it. He was so angry at that, right? We've all been there, right? And then you get Christmas carolers showing up at your door and everything's happy and everything's wonderful. Next. <clears throat> I just love this. I just love this to the upper right. right? And again, I got this off Google, so if you're actually in the audience, I, I sincerely apologize. <laughs> But I'm going to be really transparent. If, if I was dressed that way and got into a car accident, I would live long enough to take that off before <laughs> I died. And then I love the serenity of these Christmas photos. We have three kids. How many of you as a parent absolutely threatened your children before the Christmas photo? I mean threatened them. I swear to you, I'll take every Christmas back. Every Christmas present back. You smile. On three, you smile. Right? Because Jesus loves us. This can be... Oh, go back, go back. So this can be virtual reality. And listen, this is not an anti-Christmas sermon. Christmas is a wonderful time filled with wonderful things. We all have great memories when it comes to some Christmas celebrations. Some of us have better memories than others. Some of us wish, hey, I'd love to have a family photo like that, but infertility has been a reality of of my existence. Here's the thing that kind of gets us, though. Here's what communication theorists would say is the negative effect of this virtual reality. Next slide. Um, According to figures derived from a national survey, this was just last year, the average consumer plans to drop a cool $935.58 on gifts. Now, some of you are thinking, are you kidding me? We're going to do much more of that. And some of you are sitting here thinking, oh, I'd love to be in that range. That's not our reality this Christmas. We are at the very bottom of what we can do for our kids. Um, The American Pet Products Association estimates 60 $0.59 $0.59 billion will be spent on pets in 2016, up about 25% from five years ago. Take a look at this figure. Next slide. Greece, 26.6 unemployment rate in Greece, yet they will spend 6% of their entire budget for one day on Christmas. See, this is the negative side of this virtual reality, is we start to think Christmas is about a certain status. It's about looking a certain way. It's about having a certain experience. It's about spending a certain amount of money. And if we don't hit those experiences, right, then Christmas is not good for us. Now, a weird thing happened to me uh, a couple years ago. I hit midlife. This midlife crisis thing is for real. I, I wouldn't call mine a crisis, but when you hit midlife, you do start to look back and you start think about choices you made, or you look forward and you think about, well, what's in the second half of things? Uh, Interesting in academia, happiness is one of the most studied topics from non-Christians and Christians alike. And there's great research coming out from both Berkeley and from the Biolas of the world, right? Christian and Um, non-Christian. And here's one of my favorite books on happiness. Oh, I'm sorry. Go back. Uh, Nyquil, Dayquil, go back. So 
psychologists have actually come up with a term. If you're feeling like the blahs heading into Christmas, if you're feeling like, man, this just isn't how I envisioned it to be, or this is another Christmas where I'm just feeling the blues, there's actually a term for that. It's called the seasonal affective disorder. Uh, Psychiatrists and other mental health professionals report a significant increase in patients complaining about depression and suicidal thoughts. One North American survey reported 45% of respondents dreaded the Christmas season. That's almost half of Americans aren't looking with pleasure towards this Christmas season, but actually dreading it. Now, what I want to talk about this morning is how do you get out of the loop? If you feel like you're experiencing this, if you feel like you can conceive of the perfect Christmas, you just can't pull it off. Uh, then what do you do to get out of that? So take a look at this book, one of many that have been written. Um, This is a Yale psychologist, The How of Happiness, and in it she shares two amazing ideas that I've been wrestling with for years, having read the book. I want to share one of those right now, and then I'm going to share the next one at the end of today's talk. Here's what she says about happiness. And by the way, if you read these books from a academic standpoint, they really do agree on a lot of different things. And here's the first thing that she would say. If Christmas is just about you, if happiness is just about you, if your life's purpose is to achieve personal goals, nothing wrong with that, but if that is what really drives you, then you are headed for disappointment. You are headed for unhappiness. Why? Because happiness really is derived from looking beyond yourself to other people. And she's done incredible studies showing that when the focus is taken off of me and placed on other people, your level of happiness really does increase. I, I can't think of a better Christian message that has been with the church, not just at Christmas time, but throughout the history of the church has been this kind of a message. What I want to take a look at today is one of the leaders of Christianity, a man named Paul, what he says, and then where did he get that idea from, right? So here's Paul and what he says. In a book called Philippians, he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look out for your own interests. I'm so glad he put that in. It's not wrong to look out for your own happiness. It's not wrong to look out for your own interests, Paul's saying. But if that's what's driving the train, then you're going to hit some pretty hard times psychologically and personally. He says, so it's okay for you to look out for your own interests, but I want you also to be interested in the interests of others, to always be looking towards others and not always have it be focusing on you. Now, where did Paul get this message from is the founder of Christianity, and that is a person named Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ said this, your ad- Paul says this about Christ. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you new to Christianity, uh, Jesus Christ wasn't just the leader of this early church. He wasn't just the role model of the Apostle Paul. We believe that uh, Jesus is the God's solution to what ha- we see happening on planet Earth. We believe that Jesus wasn't just a good social worker. Certainly he was that. We believe that he was more than that. He wasn't just a wise teacher. He was God himself coming to planet Earth. Uh, So next, who being in the very nature God. Now think about that. Jesus being God. So what makes Christianity unique is we don't believe that God sits up in heaven and looks down on planet Earth and says, oh man, what a bummer. 
you guys have really kind of messed up this planet. And I, I imagine that's got to be really hard on you. And I imagine all the pain and suffering that that's caused. You do things really well, but there's things that you guys do that really poorly. God doesn't just sit up there and observe it. He does a really unique thing. He comes to planet Earth in the form of a baby. He, he grows up. He, he cries. He does all of these different things. He learns. He grows in stature. And then eventually, roughly about age 30, he launches his public ministry. This is what Paul's talking about is giving us insight into the person of Jesus. So being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, when Jesus comes to planet Earth, he doesn't come in the form of God. I mean, that would be crazy if he did that, right? Jesus would walk in a room and all people would bow just because they're in the presence of such great divinity and such great awe, Jesus chose not to do that. He gave up some things, set aside some things, so that he could interact with us on a one-to-one personal level. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, you see, if I were Jesus, and I came to planet Earth as God, I would come as royalty. I mean, have you ever been treated like royalty? It is a wonderful feeling. Uh, one Christmas, my favorite Christmas present, we had some friends. We, we were driving a minivan. I was, doing my ma- I was doing my master's. I was working. We had very little money. And a friend just noticed that we were driving this minivan that was going to fall apart at any moment. And they surprised us one day. They pick us up. They blindfold us. They drive us all around. This is when we were in North Carolina. They drop us off. They take the blindfolds off. We are standing in a car dealership lot. And my friends say to us, today you're buying a minivan and you're paying cash. So go and pick a minivan. We're flipping the bill for you guys. My wife was like, no, we cannot. I was like, no, Noreen. (laughs) They're, They're applying the happiness principle. They're focusing on other people. We just happen to be the other people. This is good. This is really good. Do you know how you're tre- you know how, how you walk up in a car dealership, those of you who've done this, and they say, hey, you looking to buy today? Yes, and we're going to pay cash. And they're like, oh, can I get you anything? Yes, a vanilla latte with soy milk and give me a donut with sprinkles. <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. I would love that. I would love a life. Of- you know how people say that money really can't make you happy? The Mealhoffs would love to be a test case. <laughs> I just would like to see if that's true. Maybe it's not true and our life would end in bitter disappointment. But maybe, right? So Jesus doesn't come like that. He doesn't come as a king. He comes as a servant to serve other people. That's part of his DNA. And being found in the appearance as a man with all the limitations of humanity, right? When Jesus wanted to go somewhere, he walked, he didn't fly, right? He, he got hungry. Uh, he was thirsty. Um, he experienced pain at a very deep level. So he came as a human being for a multitude of reasons and became obedient to the point of death. See, this is what gets crazy about Christianity. So here's God coming to planet Earth. You would think that nobody could touch Jesus, that Jesus would be completely protected either by angels or that he was God. And when somebody would try to hurt Jesus, Jesus would simply say, no, I'm sorry, you're not going to hurt me. You can't touch me, right? I I will, um, using the force, I I will just turn away and rebut anything that you want to do because he's God. Jesus didn't do that. 
He's subjecting himself to death. That has really confused people throughout the centuries. Why in the world would Jesus allow himself to die and die a horrible death? See, it's, it, this is what Paul says. Not only obedient to the point of death, which is enough, but death on a cross. See, today we use the cross as a piece of jewelry. Uh, today we use the cross as a reminder of Jesus' love. But that's not the original um, motivation for the cross. Listen to what Cicero said. Cicero is a Roman statesman. Uh, in talking about Rome, that a Roman citizen had certain rights. You were not to mistreat a Roman citizen. So Cicero, thinking of all the wrong ways you could treat a Roman citizen, makes a very interesting comment about crucifixion. This is what Cicero says. To bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him an abomination, to crucify him is what? There is not a fitting word that can possibly describe such a horrible deed. It was inconceivable that you would bind a Roman citizen, inconceivable that you would beat him or her, but to crucify a Roman citizen was beyond comprehension. See, Rome used the crucifixion method, but there were very high standards for it. You either had to be, um, no Roman citizen could be crucified unless you were a felon or it was uh, sedition against Rome, treason against Rome. They used the crucifixion method, but it was so barbaric to Rome that no Roman citizen could be crucified, yet Jesus is crucified. For you, uh, experienced a horrible physical and emotional death. Next. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So here's an interesting thing that happened. After they bought us this minivan, which, by the way, we still have to this day, we wanted to say thank you, but how do you say thank you for a gift like that, right? So we put together a basket. You know, we got them fun gifts and, and stuff like that, and then presented the basket to this family and, and just simply said, hey, listen, thank you so much for getting us this van and that we don't have a car payment. And, you know, at our stage of life, we're just going to enjoy the benefits of this forever. Here's a basket, <laughs> Right? Now, listen, he was incredibly generous. He said, hey, you didn't need to get me the basket. Thank you so much. Then, because uh, we were friends, I would say thank you to him like virtually every time that I would see him. Uh, you know what I mean? And by the way, thank you for the minivan. We also need a boat. No, I'm kidding. No, I did not, I did not say that. Um, he finally said to me, Tim, I, I know you're thankful and I know the gratitude you and Noreen and the boys have. You, you don't need to say that again. I know that you're thankful. But you, you just want to express something, right? You just want to give back to the person that was so incredibly generous. So here's what Jesus says. I get that you're thankful that I died for you, and I appreciate that. Here's what I want you to do. Consider others more important than yourself. Right? Remember what Paul said, have this attitude in yourself that Christ had. And Christ's attitude was, hey, listen, it wasn't just for me. My death was for you. So the greatest Christmas present we could give if we wanted to give Jesus a Christmas present by simply saying, listen, I'm humbled by the fact that 2,000 years ago you came and died for my sins, for the things that I've done wrong, offensive, and you offer me forgiveness. I don't know what to do to say thank you for such a gift. I mean, what could you possibly do to earn the death of Jesus? You couldn't do anything to earn that. 
He gave it of his own free will. He suffered. So Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be physically beaten. He knows what it's like to have one of his closest followers betray him. He even knows in a weird way what it's like to be abandoned by God. When Jesus is on the cross, it's a very famous saying. He looks up at heaven. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't that interesting? God saying to God, why have you forsaken me? Now, that's a very interesting theological answer is, why did that happen? Because Jesus, 2,000 years ago, took on the sins of everybody. Everybody in this room, whether you believe in him or not, he took on your sins, every wrong thing that you've done, from A to Z. I mean, when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, how many of your sins were in the future? All of them. So he died for every bad thing you've ever done. I mean, you may really hold your secrets very tightly, and there may be things that nobody knows that you've done or thought. Well, Jesus knows all of them. That's why Paul would later say in a a letter written to the church at Rome, he would say this, while you were at your worst, Jesus died for you. When you're at your worst, not when you're at your best. See, if I was running Christianity, I'd say, okay, I'm willing to forgive your sins, but you got to clean up your act first. I mean, come on, show me that you're deserving of a minivan. Show me that you're deserving of the death of me. And Jesus says, no, I have none of that. I know exactly what you're struggling with. And when you were at your lowest is when I died for you. Now, once that happens, how do you give back to Jesus? And his answer is, man, Be kind to other people. Focus on other people is one of the greatest gifts that you can give to me. Next slide. And this will be a sign, this is Christmas, this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. So this is Jesus' grand entrance into planet Earth, right? Take a look at these images. Laying in in darkness. He was in complete, utter (laughs) darkness. Um... So a manger was a, you know, a pig trough, and um, uh, Carrie unpacked this couple weeks ago, humble origins for Jesus, right? There, there's some mystery of to exactly what happened, but we do know that Nazareth wasn't exactly a hot spot, right? Um, so this is the humble beginnings of Jesus. He had to be carried everywhere. He, he, like any infant, had to be changed, had to be nursed, had to be protected. And yet he did this great humility. Why? Because he wanted us to know, I'm fully human. This isn't play acting. I came to planet Earth to understand and see firsthand what all of us struggle with. Next. Now, judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. And if I, be Jesus, be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. So Jesus says, here's how I want to be lifted up, by the kind things that you do to other people. Here's what's great about the Christian church when it's working as it should. Everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome. Nobody is excluded. Jesus got into a lot of trouble in a lot of different ways. One of them is what we call the table fellowship moments. This is when Jesus would have public meals with people. And in the New Testament, having a meal with a person wasn't something like eating at McDonald's. It was, this is a form of fellowship. So Jesus would eat with anyone. He excluded no one. And the the religious leaders were really bothered by this. I mean, these meals were outside for the most part. They would walk by and see who Jesus is eating a meal with, and they would say, Jesus, 
You can't do that. You're a religious public figure. You cannot be eating with those people. You can't do that. And Jesus said, I'm sorry. This is why I came. Today, I say this to my students at Biola, who would be at the table today that would bother you? That would bother you? That you would even say to Jesus, oh, you can't do that. Jesus, you can't be sitting there with that person. It looks so bad. And Jesus would say, I don't care. I came for other people. I came for these people. And so the greatest gift that we can give is to focus on other people. Again, look for our own interests, but focus on other people. Second point she made from the book. Next slide. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, (laughs) more. Hey, there's more. Um, Cast out. See the world for what it is. This is a terrain of struggle. Um, this This is not a vacation. Um, This is a hard place. Earth can be a wonderful place, but if you watch the news for 30 minutes, you know something's going on on this planet. And it's not just because of economics and political power. There's something else happening here. And uh, if you come to Vox for any length of time, we take very seriously what Jesus said, that there's evilness that resides on planet Earth. And the way that we beat it back is by following Christ. Next. Liberation. Um, I, I would do, we did this a couple years ago and it was incredibly liberating. Now we've not done it since. I'm not sure what that tells about the Milhoff family. But this is what we did. Along with a bunch of our friends, we purged. Before we accepted new presents, we purged. So we went through our house and took things that we just wouldn't wear anymore and we, we gave them away. And then I suggested we take one thing that we do wear and we really like and put that on the heap as well. And it was so liberating to do that. Now, some of you might be thinking, my goodness, we have no extra clothes in our family. And I understand that. We're just at a different place that there's just certain clothes that we could find, right? And and our friends did it as well. And we just gave it away to shelters, you know, cold weather shelters. And it was so liberating. We took photographs and sent them to each other of what we were giving away. It was incredibly liberating to do that. Cut back, I don't know if we need to spend all this money as Americans, right? I I think smaller gifts are better and and maybe um, even make gifts for each other. My grandfather did that one year in the Great Depression. He came out of the Great Depression. One year we had no money for Christmas presents. My grandfather carved presents for each one of us and gave it to us. And to this day, it's some of the most cherished stuff that I have. Now, I know the kids are in the audience going, who is this guy? Yeah, I don't want my parents to make something. I want them to buy something. Shift our focus. Show compassion towards the weak, the marginalized, the needy, and I promise you can find them. I promise it's not hard to find people who just don't have much. So, I promised you the second thing that they agree, these people who study happiness. Here's the second. Second is, next slide, George Clooney is the second. (laughs) We all need to love George Clooney. No, George Clooney did something recently, he did it two years ago, that I find fascinating and absolutely fits in with what these experts on happiness talk about. What they say is, I want you to show gratitude towards people. Not what they're going to do for you. I want you to look back and something that they've already... Remember a couple of weeks ago, I I preached about a positive recall bias. This comes from these happiness experts. So here's what George Clooney did. Now, I wish I was a friend of George Clooney. He 
took 14 of his friends, and these are people, by the way, when George Clooney was struggling to make it, he had to sleep on people's couches, he didn't have a car, he basically had no money whatsoever, he was a struggling actor, and these are the people that he slept on their couches, and people gave him money just to help him with his auditions. He took 14 of his friends, flew them to Italy... They went to a dinner, and at, uh, as they sat down for dinner, there was a suitcase in front of them. And the suitcase was $1 million, tax-free. Clooney had also paid the taxes. Now, some of the people were interviewed. By the way, he kept this quiet. It was broken by some other people. There were some people that were wealthy. Cindy Crawford's husband was there, right, and tried to say, George, I don't need the money, right? But there were other people there that was fascinating. Uh, one guy that was there um, had been out of work for a while. One gentleman couldn't afford a car and rode his bike to work, right? So not everybody sitting there was wealthy, but George said as he went around during that dinner, and you, I still remember sitting on your uh, pull-out couch, sleeping there for months and months and months when I only told you it'd be a week or two, and I remember when you lend me some money, and he went around and thanked each individual. That is one of the huge principles of happiness, is to look backwards and say, I just want to say... Thank you. And again, you might be really disappointed with your parents, but here's what your parents did well. There was one thing. You might be disappointed with Christmas, but here's one thing that we can look back and we can say thank you. Now, let me just say, to start the thank you, the very first thing might be to say to Christ, uh, thank you for doing this. Thank you for offering me what you offered me. Now, I'm going to pass that forward and focus on other people and do kind things with whatever materials I have. So this Christmas season can be really hard, and tomorrow some of you are dreading it, some of you are looking forward to it, but all of us can step back and say, but the people I'm going to interact with tomorrow, what is one thing I can look at and say thank you uh, towards those individuals? And experts on happiness would say, when you shift that focus... It just might be a positive time and not a time of dread. So let's continue our celebration by bringing out our worship team. We're going to sing some songs, prepare our hearts for what establishes Vox, and that is a time when we come to the Lord's table and we focus on what he's done for us. So take us away, Izzy. Good morning, Vox. I can just talk really loud. Oh, there we go. My name is Carrie. I'm one of the teaching pastors on staff here. Merry Christmas. It is such a great day. We've already opened some gifts this morning, so my kids are appeased. Um, before we opened our gifts, uh, we did the stocking, you know, and then they could pick one big gift. Actually, I picked it because there's strategy. Um, so I'm like, you can open that one. And um, But before we did that, we read the Christmas story. We do this every year. I've done this since I was a kid. I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up, you know, as a pastor's kid. So we used to read the Bible before because you don't want to be greedy and jump to the gifts first. You got you to give Jesus his moment. So we gave Jesus his moment this morning. And as we were reading, um, I mean, I've read this story, you know, every, every year. And I've preached on this, you know. And as we were reading, my oldest son, Ryder, we were reading about when the angels appeared to the shepherds. And it says that, behold, the angel, in, in uh, Luke chapter 2, it says, behold, the angel of the Lord came to the shepherds and said, do not be afraid, which is like 101 angel. Anytime you hear angels talk, it's like, don't freak out. Because I'd freak out, right? If you saw an angel. As much as if you saw an angel, that's how freaky it was for them. I know we read about it a lot in the Bible, but it's just a highlight reel. Seeing an angel's freaky then, it's freaky now. Okay, so don't be afraid. That's their number one go-to line. Jesus 
reminds them, don't forget the don't be afraid line when you go talk to them. Got it. Okay. Don't be afraid. And as he can, starts to say, for behold, a king, your king has been born in Bethlehem and you'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. And Ryder goes, can I say something really quick? Sure, Ryder, you have something to say. My 12-year-old son, who is an introvert and doesn't say a lot of things, what would you like to say? And he goes, you know, it wasn't just one angel that came. There was many angels that came. And I'm like, yeah. We go on to read and it says, and behold, an army of angels started to sing. And I said, why is that such a big deal? And he goes, I just think that's really cool to see all of heaven start to sing. And I started to think about who these angels decided to tell that their most precious king came to earth and they wanted to reveal their king is on earth and they chose the shepherds. You see, back in those days, the shepherds were the lowliest of lowly. They were people that nobody even talked about. In fact, when David was going to be crowned king, he wasn't even going to be crowned because his father didn't even mention that he was one of his sons because he was the shepherd. He was the youngest. He was out in the fields. David's dad presented all of their sons, the strapping strong men, and yet this wasn't the one do you have another son? Well, yeah, but he's in the field. He's young. He's just a shepherd boy. Call him in. He is going to be king. Here is the king of the world. Come to earth in a baby. And the one person that all heaven wants to break out in song in front of is lowly angels. I don't know where Christmas finds you today. Statistically, we know it's, for many of us, it's a hard holiday it's a hard day where we feel lost or we feel like we just don't have enough or we're buying so many things to fill the voids in our heart. We're looking at other people's Christmas cards, pictures, and which our family smiled like that. We're looking at Sunday mornings and just trying to get here and half of you were yelling at your kids to get on their Sunday best to come here. Me too. But somehow we made it, somehow we checked a box, somehow we're here, somehow we hope that as we come here today and before we start the festivities, that something will land on us to encourage us enough or just that we can check a box so we feel better about ourselves. And I just want you to know, whatever reason you came here for today, it's good enough. And God of the universe came as a baby and with his first breath, he was drawing and calling to the lowliest of lowly, to the people that nobody wanted to talk to, that their own father wouldn't even call out from the field to be presented as an honorable king. God of the universe was opening up the heavens, not one just saying, but an army of angels saying to the nobodies. And that's who's singing to you right now. You see, from the very first breath that Jesus took, he was calling to the lowliest of lowlies, to the outskirts, to the ones who were lost, to the ones who were dirty, to the ones that society said, you're not good enough, to the ones who didn't have $935 to spend on Christmas gifts. He was calling to them saying, it's not about this. The greatest gift you will ever receive is me. And here's the greatest part of the story. From the moment that he took his first breath, like I said last Sunday, to the moment he took his very last breath, from the moment he took his first breath, to the moment he took his very last breath, he was so committed to finding the one, the last one, who was desperate who was lonely, who was hanging on a cross next to him 
and said, don't forget me. I want to be in heaven too. And that's what he's saying to you right now. We look at Christmas and we see Jesus coming as a baby and dying on the cross 33 years later for the masses. But here's the greatest part. He came for you. He came for you, Marshall. He came for you, Mario. He came for you, Nikki. He came for you, Rebecca. He came for you, Bruce. He came for you, Daniel. He came for you. As he hung on the cross, he did not see the masses of people that he was dying for. When he took on the weight of the world, it was not a blanket statement with just unknown faces in a sea of crowds of years and years and years to come. No, it was your face. It was your heart. It was your brokenness. It was your secrets. It was your shame. It was your past. It is your present. It was your future that he hung on the cross. So please don't leave here today thinking that the gift is just this random story that's given to the masses. No, when he took his first breath, he was doing it so he could reveal himself to you. And when he took his last breath, he was doing it so that you would never forget that you are not alone, that you are seen and you are known. And this story is not for everyone else. The story is for you. The story is for me, thank you, Jesus. The story is for my son who has to stop in the middle of the story and say, isn't that cool that all of heaven started singing millions of angels, an army, it says, revealed to the shepherds. I said, it is really cool. What's even cooler is who he chose to reveal himself to. And that's you. What we do here at Vox is we believe that everyone is safe here. And I actually mean we really believe it. We want you to know that if you leave here today and you decide you want to come back, we want you here. We want your mess. We want your scandal. We want your questions. We answer them every week. We want your thoughts. We want your skepticism. We want your hurts. We want your joy. We want it. We want to start being a community that would say we will come to a table and we will partake of the blood that was shed for us and the body that was broken with people that we would normally not sit with. We want to partake together with somebody that we would never cross words with, that we would never look twice at, that we would never link arms with, because just outside, out there, the world is weird. But could this place be where we would actually break bread with a neighbor that we would never normally say hi to? Maybe somebody that we absolutely disagree with politically, yet somehow Jesus dying on the cross and rising again makes the playing field even. You see, nobody in here is the hero. Nobody in here has it figured out. There is one hero and the rest of us are misfits trying to figure it out. And some of us dress a lot better. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is we're all just trying to fit. And we want you to know that in the presence of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, that he died for you, that the story is for you. And what he did on the cross was to look into your eyes and say, I have even the playing field. Nobody in this room has it figured out. Nobody in this room knows how to heal your heart but me. 
so you can drop your mask, you can drop your lies, you can drop the comparison, you can drop the shame, that in here, the playing field is even. So as we partake of this communion, as we come, anyone, I don't know if you know Jesus or you don't, that's what makes this table so great. As Jesus says, you might not know me yet, but I sure know you. Because when I died, I had your name written on my hands and on my heart. And if you want to trust me with your life, I promise you, I will be with you every step of the way. So wherever you are today in this Christmas season, which can be joyful and painful all at the same time, let's come to the table as a family Let's break bread together. Let's remember the very last breath that Jesus took as he says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I love them so much that I would die. Let's come together and partake with your brothers and sisters, human beings trying to figure it out. All of us just a little bit of a misfit and serving one great God as we worship together. And then I'll come back up and close us out. so pretty in here. (laughs) I just want to let you know that you are so loved this Christmas. You are so seen this Christmas. And the beauty of it all is that when the angels had heard, they went and saw. The very last verse before it stops talking about the shepherds is that the shepherds ran back and started telling everyone they knew what they had seen. And people were amazed. We hope that this next year you would link arms with us and we can try to figure out what that means to go and tell people about what we've seen, that this would be a place of refuge for you, a place of comfort for you, a place of joy for you as we try to do life together. We want to just pray a blessing over you. This is my daughter, Roma. Did you want to say Merry Christmas? Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) Right? Um, A couple of things before we close is uh, your little light, if you could um, just hand it in the back, because we don't have a ton of money here, so we need those back. Um, And that leads me into my next thing, that uh, if if you would like to stay with us outside and just have some hot cocoa and cookies, because what says Christmas, then like hot cocoa and cookies and Santa, but um, we don't have that. Again, tight budget. if you love what's happening here, you know, one of the ways that we give is from our heart. We give through music. We give through um, uh, finances. We give through our knowledge and our tech. Like, all of those are givings. But one of the great things that we get to do together to keep this show operating <laughs> is to participate together financially. If you want to participate in that, we would love that. And that would help keep this place a refuge and safe place for people that you could invite your friends to, that you could come every Sunday. If you are into that and you believe in that, we could use it and we could use your help. Um, So back there, there's participation boxes that you can give. Uh, If you would just open up your hands. Also, one last thing. If you need prayer or you want to talk to anybody, we have the best community pastors here. They're literally trained on how to love people. They didn't need that much training. They were just already naturally there. But they are the best people. Like They come every Sunday with their lanyards on orange lanyards are ready to pray with you or talk with you. So if you are just feeling some type of way, you go ahead. They're right in the back corner over there. 
by the gluten-free area. See, everyone's welcome. Um, and, you, and they'd be able to pray with you. If you would just put your hands out to receive a blessing. Life is like this all the time. So sometimes we just want to go like this and let God's blessing fall upon you. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your gift. We thank you for the night. As the angels say, behold, you will find your king wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That was the beginning of the just the rest of our lives, the gift that was given, where kingdom touched earth and life truly began. I just thank you, God, that that gift was revealed to me. And I pray, God, that I would be the one, that I would be one that would go and share with others all that you have done. But I hope that it just wouldn't be me. I hope that everyone in this room would link arms with me, that would link arms with Vox, would link arms with other churches around the community, would link arms with people in our workplace, in our home, even the people that we wouldn't normally maybe sit next to because of whatever. I pray, God, that you would just incite in us such joy, such gratitude for what you've done from your very first breath to your very last, your character sung songs to the one no one would sing to. I thank you for that gift. May you bless these people, keep them safe, let them have hearts of gratitude as they rip open gifts and remember that you truly are the reason for the season. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas, Vox. We love you so much. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.